and welcome to Stationery Adjacent, a podcast at the intersection of analog and digital productivity. I'm Justin Twyford, joined as always by co-host and friend, Stu Lennon. Hey, Stu, how's your world this morning? Uh, well, it's uh, it's afternoon for me, or well, evening, in fact. it's The sun has set, it's dark here. Um, it's still very, very gentle weather, so we're having a lovely time with that, enjoying a sort of, I don't know if you call it an Indian summer in Cyprus, but a never-ending summer, perhaps. It's we, we never use that term. We get cancelled if we use that term in North America. That, that. I can imagine, yep, yep. But again, it would sound a little bit, you know, if I said a first people's summer, it would sound a bit weird as well, wouldn't it, really? Oh. I don't know. We just have to come up with a new language. This, the, the autumn is very mild. That's what I'm going to say. That sounds lovely. Um, work has been great this week. I've, um, I've onboarded a new client, which is posh for they've signed the contract. Um, I've got a couple more leads burning. I mean, it's phew, rocking and rolling. Is this all from Google Ads or is this um, uh, just hard work on behalf of Stu? Uh, no, I think um, I think the first contact, yep, came came via Google. So they found me on a search and then uh, contacted me through. Uh, I think he first up he phoned me actually, and uh, I then got him to send me an email, and we sort of you know a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Uh, so yeah, it's it's down to Google Ads. I suspect all that money I'm spending is worth it, assuming that he pays me, of course. Mm-hmm. Very nice. New clients are always good. Mm. I don't like the ones I have at the moment some days. So um, yeah, I could use <laughs> exactly. some new ones. Yes. I'm going to change them all. What about you? How are things in uh, in sunny, gloriously warm Canada? Uh, well, it's uh, minus one Celsius. So I know what that is, 30 degrees, something like that. Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. It's, it's cold. It's chilly. I was taking the dog out and uh, she's uh, crinkling on the grass as she walks over it now because everything's frosty. Mm. Uh, but it is what it is, you know. Winter is here. We have definite seasons up here. And last year at this date, I was two weeks into eight inches of snow. So the fact that I still have greenery out there, I'll take it as a win. For sure. You can't really argue with that. You got uh, your car back? How's how's that working? Is it working? Did you break it again? (laughs) Kiprula. Caprula is now equipped and protected by Vanos, uh, which I'm convinced must be a Marvel character, but apparently is not. It's a solenoid valve. I've no idea what that means. Um, it controls the engine timing. Uh, please see my earlier comment. But it seems to work. She has got me to and back from the golf course twice. I've taken her down for fuel. Um, I took her down to the vet today and touch wood all seems good. Um, all right. Five bucks says mm. you are not making any of these trips just in your nightdress after your housekeeper's, uh, problems. No, no, I'm taking a week's worth of food, a tent, um, you know, flares, uh, Apple watches that I can throw at passers-by, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Just, just in case I get myself stranded on a motorway. Um, I mean, one thing I will say about Cyprus is it's a small island. So um, if you do get stranded and you phone up a recovery truck, it's not, you know, it's not like the United States or, or Canada, where I assume they say, yes, we'll be with you in 11 hours. Um, it's, you know, it's quite a lot faster than that. Fingers crossed, I won't need to experience that. That's that's my hope. It's my hope. Ah, just stay off those uh, snowy mountain passes. <laughs> Well, we do have a couple of them that get a little bit snowy for a little bit of the year, but I won't be going anywhere near them, and it's certainly not yet. I was watching yesterday. We have there's a big um, hill between Vancouver and sort of the area that I live, uh, and it's notoriously it's it's sort of the first big hill, so it gets an awful lot of snow because all mm-hmm. the water that comes off the off the ocean comes in over Vancouver and basically pushes up against the mountains and the mountains squeeze the water out at that temperature it's snow um and i was watching it's four it's four lanes wide in one direction there Mm -hmm. um and uh nobody was moving there was rows and rows of trucks and cars and everybody was stuck and the plows were stuck and i just looked at it and went i do not want to travel if i can avoid it no no certainly not it's icky Mm. What about uh, what about a puppy update though? Have we got a new Twyford puppy? Oh, the ongoing drama. 
No. On again, off again, on again, off again. I don't know. We have some time before we have to make a decision. Um, Coco yesterday went for her monthly trim and bath and all the rest of that. Cough, cough. What an expensive dog. Um, <laughs> but our, our breed, our, our groomer is also a breeder of purebred Westies. She's involved in the show scene and everything like that. She does really beautiful Westies. Uh, and she's just had a litter. And of course they were there and they were playing with the little Westies and, uh, my wife came home and it's on again now. I don't know how long it'll last for, but, um, it's yeah, I, this is one of those that while we don't see the dogs, it's good. When we do see them, they're coming back with us. So I have no idea what this is going to be. Um, anybody got a coin 50, 50 it, you probably got a better idea of what's going on than I do. Right. You are. Well, I, I look forward to more next week. Yeah. I, the one good thing, the, uh, the, the lady that has the puppies, uh, she has three small children under the age of five, which, um, you know, for, uh, uh someone of, of my temperament is, um, a reminder that birth control is a good thing and also a place that uh, I find so stressful. Uh, three boys running around screaming, bim boys. Oh God. Um, so in order to stop by and see them, uh, I have to have my energy to a certain level to put up with mm. five minutes of three absolutely wonderful, beautiful boys. They, they come, they knock on the door, they get cookies from us. They're great kids. Their level of excitement is just far beyond anything that I can tolerate. I'm, I'm old, Stu. I'm old and grumpy. <laughs> oh, it's crazy. Uh, well, you can always just shout to them some to get off your lawn. No, no, I don't mind it when I come over. But to go look at the puppies, I have to go into the house and go into the basement. And that's where they are. So it's... it's Go at night. Go at night. That's the secret. Once they've gone to bed. I don't know what these kids do. They're just wild. I, I mean... Uh, they are they are proper kids. I mean, you, you remember when boys were boys and they didn't sit on top of a, a TV playing video games? Oh, for sure. They were out. Uh, you know, the, the oldest one who I think actually just turned six, so I might be mistaken about the ages. Um, but for the last two years, he's got a little uh, motorbike. He just gets on that and tools around the neighborhood whenever he feels like it. Cool. Um, you know, it's... They're real kids. They're really, they're outside more than they're inside. They're into everything. They're usually dirty and, you know, dirty in. I've been playing outside dirty. Um, lovely kids. But, oh my God, three of them in a room. <gasps> I'm too old. <laughs> Energetic. Something that I have not been accused of in a long time. <laughs> well, what about, uh, what about last week and, uh, all the goings on. Do we have any follow up on uh, last week? Yeah, I, I, I wasn't sure how well I illustrated my stuff. I was listening through to the edit as I was going, and I, you know, I come across as a little whiny, and I, I wanted to give a couple of ideas of things that kind of set me off. These were from my listening over the last few days. Um, certain podcasts do, and I listen to. I'm not going to name it. Had a host get COVID again. Um, and this discussion between the two hosts included the tidbit that one had gone to the store to get supplies while testing positive. And the banter was a, a one-upmanship of who's got less COVID symptoms between the hosts for this round of infections. Um, and I'm not, this is, this is a disconnect I have because I'm not sure how getting sick got to be a joke. And it certainly wasn't for these same people in the early parts of the pandemic. It's almost like a badge of honor now. That is, I think, the point that I was trying to get across. Mm. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not silly. I know COVID's here. Luckily, with vaccines and the evolution of the virus, it's, it's less serious than it was. But I'm not really sure it needs to be advertised or broified. Um, you know, there are still vulnerable people out there. Uh, Mrs. T., She's a nurse in uh, working with aged people. Um, she works with them. It's a serious thing. She's wearing a mask every day because it's uh, legislated again. Um, joking about it. Um, 
yeah, that's just kind of, I think, where my disconnect is with it. So I wanted to kind of give that as a context that I, I'm not just like this weird, um, you know, uh, oh, vaccinations rule everything. I see both sides. Mm -hmm. But I just think the the voices, the conversations have changed to be like, oh, look at me. I've got COVID again. Ugh. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, uh, interesting. We got an email from Lisa about podcasts who reminds us that we did an episode on podcasts way back episode 10. So that would be, what, 115 episodes ago. Um, we did a we did an episode called Podcasts We Listen To. Um, she recommends we might want to listen to it and see see how it compares with our thoughts on it now, which I think is a perhaps a good idea. Um, mm. Mine changed a lot. <laughs> yes, I think we we both can see that, which does make that point that um, you know there was a huge boost for podcasts during the 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 pandemic because of the social distancing and the staying home and all of that, and it was nice to have a, a friendly, familiar voice sort of in the house or in your headphones, I guess. Yeah, very very good point. Um, thank you for that, Lisa. And uh, also reminding us that, you know, we don't remember what junk we talked about a hundred episodes ago. I don't remember what I talked about this morning, for heaven's sake. <laughs> well, still this morning for me. I'm working on that, Stu. <laughs> I'll forget it by this afternoon, though. There we go, you see. Um, another tech podcast. I was talking about the sort of the, the feeling of entitlement that I have over a lot of hosts at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, and they were ha hammering on the 2020 MacBook Pro m1 with touch bar mm -hmm. um how horrible of a product it was and how bad apple was for leaving it in their lineup for so for so long mm -hmm. and i mean this is this is one i use every day i love it it does everything i need it to do i keep looking at these new shiny space black um and going yeah what does this not do that i need it to do um, so I'm, I'm just kind of looking at this and going, these same voices, when those two products were released with the M1 trip, the, the M1 chip, the, the MacBook, the MacBook Air, the conversation was so different. Um, I kind of put it down to entitled voices, now that they all have newer, faster, more expensive computers, um, that just need something to bitch about and uh, <laughs> I, it's like i don't really connect with that anymore it's 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 just so weird that uh i i think their point was that the um when the 14 and the 16 were released they were sort of you know true macbook pros whereas the um the 13 inch sort of residual old shape one they thought that should have been retired rather than kept on for sale which I mean, I I get probably as furious as you do about that, but for different reasons. So I mean, I'm screaming at the thing. Um, it's because it's Apple, which is a money making machine. You halfwits. Um, that there seems in a lot of the podcasts that that I listen to and enjoy this thought that in some way, shape, or form, Apple is a force for good. Uh, Apple isn't a force for good. Apple is a cash machine. It exists purely to make money. And as long as you see Apple through that lens, then you will understand every decision they make. Uh, you know, making those, those MacBooks was uh, getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, and they could sell it for the same price as they always sold it. And lots of corporate buyers wanted the word pro in, in the name of their machine. So whether it be better or not than the MacBook Air, the fact that it was called pro meant that people were going to buy it. And it has a touch bar, and I like the touch bar. So there we go. Yeah. Yeah, and if you want to make a money-making machine, then, yep, the cost of production is going down. I can maintain price and therefore increase margin. Ship it in. I mean, that's that's how Tim Cook made his his reputation. It's not going to change. And I'll be honest, that is still a rocking machine. Um, For this sure. This summer, I had to buy Mrs. T a new computer. Um, she was rocking a, a 2013 MacBook Air. So it was mm -hmm. 10 years old. Um yep. And I looked at it and I looked at the price difference and I looked at the spec differences and she ended up with an M1 MacBook Air. The M2s were out at that point. I'm not sure today paying a premium for an M3 for a very, very casual user like Mrs. T would make any sense at all. And in some ways, as, you know, businessy side of me, uh, the M1 with the touch bar was a good computer for 
a lot of work. You know, if you want to have a pro rather than an air that people will take a little bit more seriously. And, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a fine computer. I mean, sure. Newer, better. I can tell you right now, next year, there'll be even better Macs, faster, stronger, um, that have all the new technology. But you, Do you know, think there it, might be an M4? That there might be. And after that, there might even be an M5. It's an, it's an outside bet, everybody. But if you can find a bookie that will take it, I'd put some money on it being an M4. I would say put that on the internet and people will be talking about you as a big rumor guy, Stu. <laughs> yeah, Minchi Quo and the fat bloke in Cyprus. Yep, that, I can see that working. Yeah, you're just going to, you know, sprinkle it with um, bits of a different language. Maybe you can throw some Cyprus in there <laughs> because we know Cyprus is the, the key place to ac Apple's economic development. Absolutely. We are the center of their world. We're, we're, we're a sort of focus group, really. Anyway, I'm going to get off my um, soapbox. <laughs> I, I just, uh, I, I don't want to belabor it, but I thought, you know, these were two kind of poignant uh, reasons that, the voices are changing and uh, just not quite resonating with me as much. And it is that these voices have changed because I was thinking about it and going, yeah, when these things came out, when COVID came out and uh, ironically, the M1 MacBook, um, we're both around the same time. Huh. I wonder if that's part of the reason that everybody's trying to forget that and can that area of their lives. But anyway, it is what it is. Stu. Let's talk about something else. Go on then. What's your tool of the week? Oh, tool of the week. I, well, I, I'm, you know, sort of uh, Debbie Downer at the moment. I'm always coming out with negative tools. But this this, this week, or this day, in fact, today, uh, my, my tool of the week was Charlie. Um, he's, he's blown my day apart. Uh, I was supposed to be attending a funeral this morning. Um, but at some point uh, between... Well, I took the dogs out for a walk. That went really well. I gave the dogs breakfast. That was fine. And then in the sort of hour and a bit between them having breakfast and me getting ready to go out, uh, Charlie was just suddenly not very good. Um, he was very lackluster and huge red flag, not interested in food. So um, when I go out, um, I get both dogs into the part of the house they're allowed to sort of infest while we're out. And I give them a little uh, biscuit and tell them to look after the place. And he refused his biscuit. Uh, at which point I thought, okay, this isn't great. Now, for context, he, he came in last night from the garden with a small wound um, in his hind quarter. So it looked like it might be a scratch or perhaps a bite. Um, or it could have just been thorn because Jack Russells and Hedges, they don't believe in going round things, Jack Russells. They tend to go straight through them. Um, and, you know, he seemed pretty sanguine about the whole thing so there was a little bit of blood so i gave it a quick clean with some antiseptic on it he seemed okay fine um then obviously when i then see him looking a little bit sickly this morning um i start putting two and two together and getting 27 so i immediately assumed that an anaconda had turned up in the garden and or some sort of you know vicious viper and bitten him uh, so i took him down to the vets so bang goes the funeral i'm off to the vet um, although the vet was very impressed that I dressed so smartly to go to go see him. <laughs> and uh, we had a look and yeah, as far as the vet could work out, the wound was, as we thought, you know, a small wound, maybe a scratch from a cat or something. Um, there was no swelling around it, uh, no sign of venom, nothing, you know, that should really alarm us. But clearly the dog wasn't very happy. So um, had a temperature. Um, we gave him a shot. We... Uh, the vet gave him a shot of uh, something to try and bring his temperature down and also a shot of ABs as a sort of precaution. Uh, so it came back and then um, sort of by this stage, my mind is shot. I just, I quite simply just sort of looked at my computer, who's the only colleague I've got at the moment really, and said to my computer, you're not on. I don't care what happens. I'll be on the couch with the dog. Um, and so I, we, we put on, I've, I'm binge watching Game of Thrones, which is a whole different subject. But anyway, uh, so we sat up on the, on the couch upstairs and watched a bit of Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Um, and then I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll see if I can pick him up, take him, take him downstairs to feed him. And something is hurting because he yelped and he never yelps. So I don't know if it's his tummy or his hindquarter. Um, he's, he's here on the couch with me now. He's, uh, he's Sparko, he's asleep. 
which I assume is the AB is doing their thing. Um, he's clearly not happy. Um, so I'm absolutely, <laughs> absolutely terrified because I love my dogs, if you didn't know already. Um, but I think he's going to be okay. I've got an appointment with uh, L Big Chief Vet uh, tomorrow afternoon. Um, just going to have another look at him. Um, unless, you know, he takes a turn for the worst, in which case I will wake up every vet in the district and we'll go and see them. But yeah, blew my day apart and it's still worrying me now, although he looks as all dogs do. I wish I could rest like a dog rests. Um, so hopefully he'll be okay in the morning and I'll go and play golf. But if he isn't okay in the morning, then I'll cancel golf and we'll do a bit more couch time until I can take him to the vet. Oh, poor Charlie. Poor, poor Charlie. Hopefully it's nothing serious. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. You know, I was going to say it's a pain in the butt, but uh, as it started out with a scratch on the hind quarter, it probably really is a pain in the butt for him. Well, yeah, it's the sort of, it's like the top of his thigh, if you, if you know what I mean. Is um, uh, mm. And it looks terrible now because they've they've shaved it to, to have a proper look at it. And they've drawn blood from him. And I, I you know. Like like most men, I think he doesn't particularly enjoy doctors' needles and all that sort of stuff. It's the one bit of attention he really doesn't want. So um, I'm hoping that a good night's sleep in a baby. He'll be tickety boo in the morning. He ate his dinner, so oh, that's a good sign. He's eaten his dinner. Yeah, if he's eaten his dinner, I'm reasonably comfortable that there's nothing terribly terribly wrong with him. Um, but yeah, worried dad. This is as close as I get to worried dad because obviously I don't have any kids. Anyway, what about you, JT? What's been your tool of the week? Well, I've been standing up, Stu. <gasps> Good Lord. That'll never take off. I've been using my stand, sit-stand desk as a standing desk this week. Oh, very good. I tend, I tend to go in waves, and uh, wow, it worked really well for focus work. Mm. Um, I have tile floor, so if you're going to do this, make sure you have an anti-fatigue mat. Yeah. It is a must, otherwise, well, especially... As I was complaining earlier, I'm old, grumpy, and tired. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely need an anti-fatigue anti -fatigue mat. So, uh, yeah, uh, get one as well. But yeah, do you, uh, what what are you doing? Are you still doing sit up, stand down, or stand up, sit down? Yeah, yeah. Combo I've got or... the, almost the exact same setup as you. So it's a tile floor. I've got an anti-fatigue mat, um, which when the desk is in sitting position, Spicy really likes it as a place to lie. So she gets quite upset when it's a standing desk and suddenly I insist on having my mat back. Um, but yeah, I'm like you, I'm in waves. So I suppose this week I've not stood at all. Um, but I'm still, I'm just checking that my setup still works. Yeah, I've still got enough cable everywhere to to make that work because I'm on a two monitor system at the moment. So they're both attached to the same desk so I can still raise it. It's fine. Cool. Um the one problem I have with standing up is I get um, disapproval from Puppy mm. because Puppy likes to sit on my lap while I work, mm -hmm. which is really actually awkward and not very ergonomic, but we won't talk about that. What you writing with? Uh, well, I'm still uh, firmly in the land of Pelican. So I've got, you know, my uh, 805, my 600, M600, and my um, uh, 205, still all full of the same ink. Um, I was actually just last night, I was doing a little sort of perusing of cult pens. I was thinking, Ooh. okay, I need to, I need to, to get some ink. I want some more ink. I want some colorful ink. I want some nice ink. So I've, you know, developing preferences as you do. Um, I was thinking maybe, you know, get myself, I don't know, six or seven bottles, decent colors uh, of really nice ink, you know, spoil myself type thing. Um, and then I thought, well, let's have a look at the fountain pens. Um, and I find buying fountain pens for me now just harder and harder because um, my tastes are getting, you know, I suppose, more extreme to a certain extent. So, yeah, you know, steel pens are absolutely fine. I just don't want one. Thanks. I've got loads of them. Um, and pens with a, a Yoho nib or a, a Bok nib, uh, yeah, they're great. They're, they're perfectly serviceable nibs. got no problem with them, but I've got loads of them. So I want a pen that's made by a company that makes its own nibs. Um, and I want that nib to be gold. Um, there's still plenty to choose from. Don't get me wrong. There are certain brands that I now look at and think, hmm, there's a one in three chance that, that I'll actually enjoy this pen when it gets here because their quality control is so awful that um, two out of three are never quite right nib-wise. Visconti, we're looking at you. 
<laughs> well, I'm not a huge fan of Monty Grappa on that front either, but yes, Visconti is one. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I get down to about, I don't know, five or six brands. And A, I've already got pens from those brands. And B, I look at them and go, okay, this is essentially a nib that I already own in a new sort of casing, you know, a different look. And it's, I, mean, I suppose, 500 bucks or 600 bucks. And I'm thinking, Hmm. Is you know is this actually going to add six hundred bucks of value to my life? This is not a usual Stuart thought process. I don't know where this is coming from. I don't know if this is age creeping up on me, or perhaps just guilt about the fact that you know if I buy another Sailor or another um, Pilot or another Platinum or, or another Pelican, heaven forfend. I you know I've already got these, and then I think okay, well let's have a look at Mont Blanc, and of course the price then doubles or triples, and I think. This really is exactly the same workings, just with a new case all around it. What's the point? I'm not sure. So yeah, I'm not sure how I'm feeling about new buying new fountain pens. I may, who knows? I may suddenly just go, ah, to hell with it, I'll buy one. But um, I, I'd also just bought myself a gift um, a couple of days before, so I bought myself a hiking kilt. Excuse me? Uh, but you didn't. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's a... Uh, uh, it's a sort of it's it's an American invention. Yeah, you'd be surprised. Of course that. it is, because uh, you know. Yeah, indeed. Well, nobody from nobody American is American. They're all from somewhere else, um, and uh, it's a really lightweight um, sort of casual kilt, uh, as if there was ever such a thing. Um, it it essentially closes with Velcro. Um, uh, for for kilt wearers, both of you listening. Um, you wear it a little bit lower than you would normally wear your kilt. So um, normally you wear a kilt around the sort of belly button, uh, whereas these you wear sort of around the belt line. Uh, they're really lightweight, sort of hiking technical material um, with a sort of tartan printed onto them rather than, you know, sort of woven wool. Um, but they're brilliant to hike in because anybody who's ever done any hiking um, particularly if you're, well, shall we say, a big fellow like myself, um, you know, there's bits of chafing that go on that are really quite unpleasant. And that's all to do with, with getting a bit hot. Um, and, uh, yeah, I've ordered one from the States. They sort of make it to measure for you. Uh, it's not, it's not terribly expensive and it should be with me in a week or so, so that, you know, next time I'm Caminoing, uh, I will be in my sports kilt or my hiking kilt. I- I, I just have no words, Stu. No words. <laughs> um, as, as per your request, I'm just going to dig out um, dig out a link. I, I have to ask, because maybe this is a uh, cultural thing, you know, East versus West or something. But um, I, when I'm hiking, I, I mean, we've got ticks out here. We've got um, poison ivies. We've got, you know, various things that... Uh, I don't even hike in shorts because there's so many things that uh, can affect your comfort level. Um, having, well, the parts of me that are not hidden by a kilt, uh, flashing as I'm running down a mountain away from a bear, just seems like the oddest thing ever. Well, um, no, I mean, I think... In terms of, you know, um, bugs and all that sort of jazz, uh, ticks generally don't sort of throw themselves up your trouser leg. Um, they, they, you tend to brush them on. And if you're wearing shorts, as you say, there's always a risk. Now, traditionally, with a kilt, you would wear you would wear hose, as we would say in Scotland, hose, or long socks, as um, most people would say. Um, and so that will protect you to a great extent against those. Um where I walk, there tends to be some some rain about the place, or where anybody walks, there tends to be some rain around the place. And you know, skin is waterproof, and you know, the worst possible thing to walk in for me is trousers, because they just get wet and heavy and horrible. Um, I don't mind shorts um, because well, there's less of them, and quite a lot of them gets covered up with jackets and stuff. But I always walk in shorts. Um, but as I say, it all gets a little bit sweaty and gnashy down there. Um, I, I suspect that most people hiking don't wear, um, shall we say, the um, 
the regimental version or the commando version of the kilt. I think we probably go, yes, we're true Scotsmen, pass me in my boxer shorts, that sort of thing. Mm. Um, just because, well, you know, I'd, I'd hate to settle down for my fourth bottle of wine, cross my legs and, and give the ladies a show that really that nobody wants. Um, so, yeah, I, I think they'll probably be teamed up with some some boxer shorts. And because it's a hiking kilt and it's not made of wool and stuff, there's, you know, there's all sorts of focus on handy things like pockets and you've got options. You can have straps added and belt loops and all that sort of jazz. Um, but yeah, I, I think I will definitely, definitely, definitely be walking in it um, during my next Camino. I think for, I'll probably wear it in a couple of weeks. I'll be playing in the St. Andrew's Day um, golfing event. I'm sure I'll wear it for that. Um, you know, the new, get all terribly Scottish about everything. Um, but yeah, it's uh, kilts are really practical, and you've got to bear in mind that trousers are very, very recent invention. <laughs> okay, only really got trendy so that you could ride horses, and I've got no intention of riding any horses. Mm. I, you know, I just, I, I, good for you. I, I can't wait to see a picture of you in this um i guess this for me is you're probably doing proper trails yep that's probably the difference in the hiking that i do which is often more bushcraft kind of hiking you know where i'm i'm trailblazing myself uh -huh. um following game trails which is where everything's rubbing against my legs so uh, but uh, cool interesting and things that i did not even knew i did not not even know there was a market for such things hiking kilts i learned something today well and also i mean i think it'll be great i'm going to team it probably with a some sort of french beret um Stu was wearing a a basque beret on the last camino uh, from bayonne no not from bayonne actually it's from bilbao uh, a raspberry beret it was a big hit with people they were very impressed with his his naturally waterproof hat uh which wasn't naturally waterproof by the end but hey that's another question uh so yeah i think maybe next Next Camino, we will be the two rugby players in kilts. I, I can I can see it taking. <laughs> all right. I, European is all I got to say. Europe. <laughs> that is very European of you, Stu. And I managed to get that in around pen and ink of the week, which I think is impressive all upon its own. What about you, JT? What have you been wearing? Uh, sorry, using. Well, I'm still wearing pants, thank God. Um, <laughs> that's something nobody needs to think about my ugly ass legs sticking out, but. Uh, you still using the newly inked pens from last week. Uh, I inked them up the day before we recorded. I'm certainly enjoying these are both medium nibs uh, using a broader nib. One thing I've noticed, though, and I, I thought I'd mention it, the Schaefer, not one of my favorite brands, but, uh, mm. you know, I'll, I'll give everything a try. I've, I think I've got a couple of them. Most of them are vintage that I have. Uh, the, ten, the, the Schaefer has a tendency to hard start skip mm -hmm. a little bit on coated rhodia paper yeah. works well on regular paper uh, so i have absolutely uh printer paper if i'm making notes on anything that i printed out for work um no problems at all starts all the time writes beautifully but it's a reminder to me that writing the experience of writing is a combination of pen nib ink and paper for sure and all it needs is one of those to be very very slightly out of whack and the experience changes absolutely yeah yeah very good point actually very good point particularly i mean things like rodea some of my favorite i love rodea with the right pen uh, but as you say if it's the wrong ink or the wrong pen it's a nightmare to use yeah i i haven't hit that combination for a while so <clears throat> learn something new yeah all right we're going to talk about two city boys in the country. But as soon as I say that, I just cannot take away an image of stew and a kilt from my mind. I, <laughs> believe me, I, Justin, already, already I wear brightly colored compression stockings. Okay, so the, the majority of the village around me think that I am some sort of lunatic. They also think, well, if he hits me, I'm going to stay hit. So they don't generally say much. Um, but 
imagine how they're going to start feeling when I start turning up in those lovely compression stockings. I mean, at the moment, I'm wearing purple polka dot ones, um, teamed up with a bright blue kilt. Yeah. I think you'd get shot if you tried that around here. But uh, you know what? My area may be a little more redneck than yours, I'm just going to say. Mm, listen, you mate, you're in Canada, so 90% of the people around you have got Scottish jeans. Oh, God. Well, yeah, but the, <laughs> certainly up here, you know, um, workwear is kind of the uh, what we wear. We It's very rare that I see people. Workwear and uh, camo for hunting. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's Justin, my life. Justin, I, I, look, I, I don't want to tempt you but there is a camo kilt. Yeah. <laughs> Follow the link, Justin. I'll have you converted within weeks. Okay. Now I am looking for that. I, anyway, let's get back to our topic. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, so, Stu, you've been in Cyprus longer than I. Uh, what's your history with country? Because you were a city boy too. I, I know you did live in Cyprus for a little time before, and then you lived mm-hmm. in a village in England. Mm-hmm. Um, so you probably have a little more country in you than I do. Uh, what's your history? Uh, well, my history, I was born and bred in Bristol, uh, which is quite a big city in the West of England. Um, and I was very much a city boy all the way through my education until I went to Paris when I was 18. Um, from Paris, I spent a few years in Paris and then I got postings down to uh the Alps um ski resort for for a season and the Côte d'Azur so Cannes, Saint-Tropez, uh, Monaco that that little area of the French coasts which is it you're close to rural down there but you are very much in metropolitan I mean Monaco is it's not what you would call a, a backwater um it's very cosmopolitan it's very city-like um, from there, I went to Budapest, and then Sofia, then Prague, then London. It was city all the way. I mean, occasionally living in the suburbs. Um, you know, if you got a corporate allowance, you could. Um, I, I quite liked getting a larger house in the suburbs than than necessarily a, a flat in the centre. Um, particularly once I got married. Um, but then, yeah, from London. Um, I mean, I've told this story before, but we. James and I formed the company and James lived um, in Hampshire. Now, if you go to London from Hampshire on public transport, you arrive at Waterloo Station. That's, you know, that part of the country is served by Waterloo Station. So um, he said, well, we'll get an office near Waterloo so that my commute is not a complete hell. Um, And I said, okay, that's fine. I lived in London. London's got a fantastic underground system. So, you know, wherever is fine turns out uh his commute was 55 minutes um and my commute from north london to central london on the tube was an hour and 15 plus a 15 minute walk so it was taking me longer to get to work than him <laughs> which i just how did i manage to 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 make that happen and margaret is a city girl she was london born and bred all her life pretty much and we had um, we had a nice uh, they call it a maisonette, um, so that's like an apartment with its own door. Um, so it's a first floor apartment, but we have our own staircase down to a sort of street door, and they call that a maisonette rather than an apartment. Nice. That's that's the UK for you. Um, and you know, I had a sort of weird sort of well, a, a normal London life where you get up really early, you spend an hour and a half getting to work, then you work, then you spend um, uh, an hour and a half getting back, or you know, a couple of hours in the pub, and then an hour and a half getting back. And talking to James, um, I said to him almost flippantly one time, I said, "Look, I don't understand. Why don't we just get an office near you um, down in the country? It will cost us." you know, a tenth of what we were paying. We were paying a lot of money for a broom cupboard. We essentially had a small office subleased to us by a charity uh, near Waterloo Station. And we ended up getting a place quite literally four times the size for half the price um, in in the, the, the throbbing metropolis or small town of Andover in Hampshire. Uh, so we got an office there. Big cost saving. James delighted. He's got a sort of, you know, a 10 minute drive in his Range Rover. Hello! Uh, to get to work. He thought it was all fabulous. Um, 
And I said to to Margaret, um, you know, why don't we why don't we go and live in Andover? Um, you know, we can we can sell our maisonette, we can buy ourselves a bigger place, we can have a garden, we can, you know, maybe get a dog. And it was kind of a hard sell for, for the London girl. But I think she recognized that it was it was slightly crazy to be living in essentially the most expensive place on earth. Um, and then sort of for me, often commuting down to the country, sort of the reverse of everyone else. Um, and so we did. We we spent a couple of weekends at Andover, um, sort of just going, oh, this is quite nice. And Andover was a uh a market town, so pretty small, it's got a center, you've got all the shops that you might want. Uh, it seemed friendlier, quite quaint, you know, lots of English cottages, <laughs> that type of thing. Um, and so we ended up buying a, uh, she, she wouldn't move to a village. She was adamant that she needed, you know, a town. She needed some sort of infrastructure. She needed life. Um, so we, we bought a new build um, on the edge of Andover. Um, and the economics, I'm sure you, you've got something to say about this in Canada as well, but we sold a small two-bedroom maisonette in London, bought a decent-sized four-bedroom detached house in Hampshire and still put quite a lot of money in the bank. Um, you know, financially, uh, it was, it was we got a lot more house for our money down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we lived there for a couple of years, and those couple of years were Margaret's transition to, hmm, those little villages with all the thatched cottages and the quaint roofs and you know, the sort of, you know, chocolate box cottages, as they're known. Um, they're just over there, and, and we could afford one. Why aren't we living there? So I'm like, okay, um, because I wanted village life. Village life was what always appealed to me. I wanted to be able to walk to the pub, and I wanted to be able to walk to the shop. I don't want 10 shops. I want the shop, the shop that has milk, wine, butter, tea bags, anything else that I might have forgotten, you know, that type of thing. Um, and so we did, and uh, we had a lovely time there. We had a really, really good time living in uh, in Hampshire, and that was the sort of beginning of our our country living. What about you? How did your country living start? <laughs> Mostly by accident, actually. Um, I grew up uh, basically around uh, suburbs. You know, parents lived in suburbs. Um, in those days you know, you could go for a cycle and get to fields. Um, so we weren't, you know, deep, 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 uh, city. Um, but the more, the older I got, the more into the city we lived, we lived in Los Angeles for a while, which uh, I, I don't think you can get much more city than that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we did Toronto, we did, uh, you know, town, uh, cities in England where, uh, they were the 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 suburbs were cities. You had to go outside to get to country. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd never really thought about it. I you know when when we moved up to to Canada, I I was downtown Vancouver, apartment living, uh, going out every night, and you know all the stuff that one does in the twenties in in an apartment in a metropolitan uh, city. It's just lovely. Um, and then I got tired of that. Um, and I moved out to a suburb and I, I'd never really thought about it because I was always close enough that city life was just a very small trip, you know, half an hour and I could get into downtown and I enjoyed that. Um, in fact, I used to joke that I hated going past a certain point East in the Vancouver area because, well, you got kind of cows and rural, um, but yeah, I, I'd never really thought about it um, until sort of COVID refugee is what I classify myself up here. We sold our house uh, because of changes in the area around our house, um, which started, you know, really the whole thing started by somebody knocking on my door and offering me an obscene amount of cash for my rickety old house. Um, and then we had some some changes in the family and uh a change would have been good at that time. Um, so we, we were planning on moving. And the fact is that uh, most of the Vancouver area now, like London, I guess, and most uh, big cities, you just have urban sprawl. 
Um, we couldn't find anything urban sprawl, so we ended up here in uh, a place that we visited. Uh, I've only ever been up here in the summer. Um, yeah, it was kind of a, an accident. Mm -hmm. So when we came up here, we were looking in this area. There's a city about an hour north of me. There's a small city about a half hour south of me. And we were looking anywhere from the north, the north city all the way down. Um, didn't really actually want to live in this area because uh, I've got some in-laws that are not too far away. Uh, but we ended up finding this house that mostly suited us uh, without really considering just how rural it is. Uh, so, you know, Stu talks about village life where you can walk into your your shop and your pub. Uh, I've got a 45-minute walk before I'm at anywhere that has a shop or a pub. So we're, you know, we're kilometers, I think it's about six, seven kilometers outside the the city or, or the, the little town center that we have for our, I would call it village, but I think it's uh, 12,000 people live here in mm -hmm. some, I think I did the math on it somewhere. Uh, 11,000 people over 74 square kilometers. So it's uh, pretty um, spread out. Hmm. But uh, that was kind of how I ended up here. Um, you know, I one thing that I do look at is that my timing was impeccable uh, because we we moved here during a time that everybody was working from home. Um, I don't know if I'd have the same leverage to move now because everybody's back in offices. Um, it it's. It's certainly a, a, something I think about that I was kind of lucky to make the move there. There are some businesses that are still remote, but uh, in Canada, I think almost everybody's back in the office where they can be. Mm -hmm. uh, how about you, Stu? What do you, what do you find different living in a village town um, compared to uh, the, the city? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the obvious thing for me was once I'd got to the stage that, you know, I didn't want to go out every night. Um, which is clearly an advantage if you live in you know a big city, then you've got lots and lots of options for places to eat and places to drink, and you know some of them will be you know eminently walkable. You can have seventeen thousand types of food delivered, all sorts of stuff. Um, but for me, I mean, the big difference really was I won, give or take, I won two and a half hours a day back from the train, and. You know, I, I appreciate that people, you know, do get stuff done on trains and, you know, during the commute. Uh, not many that live in England do. If you're commuting into London, um, particularly, I mean, you, I look back at it now and just think how stupid um, the whole thing is. But everybody starts work at the same time. So there are, you know, a series of trains between 6.30 and 7.30 that are absolutely rammed every day. I mean, Margaret used to do it every day up to London for a while and she would she would be on the same train with the they all sat in the same seats and I know this because occasionally I had to go to London and I would sort of um jump on with her and I would sit down in a seat and people you can't sit there that's the David's seat well hang on I'm just sitting here with my wife oh and that, that, you know, I mean, the whole thing was thrown into absolute chaos. These people had a routine. This was their lives. And if you're living in London and commuting, so using the tube, you're not doing anything on a tube, all right? You're probably standing with your nose in someone's armpit um, with someone's briefcase pushing up against your backside. You know, I mean, you, you're, not, you're not sitting there getting your laptop going, I know, I'll just do a spreadsheet. It doesn't work like that. Um, you're just a man of visuals today. We've got you in a kilt and you with a a briefcase in your backside. Ah, Stu, thank you. Honestly, now if people say to me, "Okay, I, you know, I'd like you to be at a meeting at so and so time in London," I'll and it involves a a rush hour tube. No, that's the answer to that question. No, not interested. And there's no point in getting a taxi either, because a taxi will take you about an hour and a half to go two miles. So. Um, that time, yep, yeah, you can listen to podcasts if you want, but um, it's it's not productive time. It's not stress-free time. If you look at people in the London Underground, they are all universally miserable because it is a miserable way to live. It's absolutely horrible. So that, that was the huge win for me was to go, oh, hang on. 
I mean, my commute became eventually that I would walk the seven kilometers, seven, seven or eight kilometers, um, and take Nero with me. And, you know, I, okay, that's quite extreme in terms of walk. We're talking about an hour and a half walking um, to, to and back. But that type of hour and a half for me was wonderful because I was out in nature and I had my dog with me and we we're walking through the town and, you know, people got to know the, you know, the fat guy with the stockings and the little cute dog. Um, and, you know, I would chat to people as I went through and hello, and we go past the, the, the bacon truck and they'd give Nero a little bit of bacon, you know, it was, it was fantastic. It was brilliant. Um, so that was the huge difference for me. That was the first one. What about you? What did you find different? Uh, yeah, that's a good question, really. Um, I think everything is different. Uh, it, was, it was a hard time. I mean, we moved up here. We'd closed on this place, and two, three weeks before, my wife was just diagnosed with cancer. Mm. So basically, we got here. Um, first thing, we had winter, uh, and then the entire, you know, what was it, eight months, nine months, was dealing with uh, helping my wife through a very, very brutal uh, chemotherapy treatment. Um, so, you know, the, the changes were, were hard to contextualize in a positive way. Um, the, you know, the summer after when my wife was starting to feel a little bit better was really when I started enjoying this area. Mm -hmm. I'm in a valley I've got from my office here. I've got views of three mountains surrounding me. Uh, in the summer, a steam train drives around the corner of uh, the the mountain to, to my north or to my south here, um, which is just a, the most tranquil sound, a steam train chugging, chugging along. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just great. We are particularly rural. And I didn't think too much of how rural we were because we look like we're in a neighborhood. We're in a neighborhood of maybe 30 houses. And then there is, there are some farmhouses, but there are farms, orchards, vineyards, uh, meadows between us and the, the town proper, if you like, which really does change things for us. Uh, because now, you know, to go into town is actually a chore. You know, you don't just walk down for a cup of coffee. You plan it because it, it is a destination. Sure. Um, so, you know, we've got two cities, so we've got some things that we need. Um, but the reality is that I only go to those under protest. <laughs> Hardly ever go to the one up north because it's busy. And the one up south is, well, it's just so far away and just not worth it. Um, so yeah, it's, there are so many different things from living here. Uh, the one thing I think I would support, say is, um, community is so big up here. Mm -hmm. Um, that is the biggest thing that comes to a small town. I know everybody, I, you know, I, I'll walk around to my neighbors, tap and walk into their house because their doors are unlocked. I mean, that never happens in the city. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody cares about everybody. Uh, those kids that are in the neighborhood, uh, they come and knock on our door and ask if they can have a cookie. You know, mm -hmm. could you imagine doing that in in the city? Oh, you did it, didn't it in LA, you get shot, presumably. Well, or poisoned or, you know, God knows what would happen. <laughs> you know, the, the weirdos that we grew up uh, teaching our kids about. Uh, it's, it's just a completely different way of life. I, and the biggest thing that, comes out of that is um, people help each other. I did a project up in the Arctic Circle area uh, in Akalawit, if anybody knows where that is, Frobisher Bay. Um, so if you, if you go to Ottawa, Ontario, sort of the capital of Canada, and you fly about 1,600 kilometers straight north, uh, you've found the place that I was. Um, I think you're 500 kilometers away from the nearest tree, just to give you an idea of how remote it is. Mm -hmm. um, this was a place that is only accessible by boats for four or five months in the summer. Um, they don't even have a dock. What they do is they wait for high tide. They drive the docks onto the beach. The tide will 
uh, strand them there and they drop off their cargo onto the sand where they have uh, dry, giant trucks come down, pick it all up and take it uh, up to the, the sort of storage areas. It is the weirdest thing. It's, you know, so antiquated in the way that they do it, but it works. Survival up there trumps politics. Sure. Um, and it's, it's amazing that this small town, I remember doing some work there and, uh, people would, um, call their competition. Hey, uh, what are you doing with this piece of equipment? Can you do this for, for this guy that's in my office now? Um, nobody had a credit check. They'd look you in the face, they'd shake your hand and you had a deal. Um, there was no purchase orders. It was none of the stuff that comes with big city. Let's get, let's get deals done. Mm -hmm. Um, weirdly here in my area of town, which is again, far less remote than the Arctic circle, but people still have that. Uh, if you need anything, your neighbors are all there, whether it's, you know, uh, gathering firewood or lifting or helping construct uh, chicken coops or, you know, whatever that happens to be up here. There's a lot of weird stuff we do. Um, it is such a community. Um, I, I mean, Stu may be able to, to do this, but uh, when I was here, I've actually had conversations in town with the mayor of town just as we're walking in the market on a on a Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. um, when I sent an email to the district, I got a thoughtful response from the director of the department I was dealing with. Like one of the high, high up people. Yeah, it's a small town. The volume's not as good, but people just care. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's the biggest difference is the people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's very, very similar here. Um, and, you know, I, I could use Hampshire or Cyprus. I can sort of interchange them. In, in Hampshire, we knew all our neighbours. Um, you know, we, we would walk up to the pub and, you know, you know everybody in the pub and they know you. And on a Friday, uh, you know, pretty much the whole village under the age of, let's say, 70 and over the age of 18 would, would go to the pub. And it would be spilling out and it was... It was kids' night. Kids were allowed to stay in the pub till later, uh, so they were running around doing kid stuff. Um, and the whole, you know, it was the centre of the village, and that was fantastic. And it's the same here in Cyprus. Cyprus is complicated because we have um, such a diverse population here. You have uh, Greek Cypriots, you have uh, a lot of Brits, you have a lot of Russians, and they sort of form three fairly distinct communities that sort of cross over in certain places. Um, but yeah, it's that whole community thing is is exactly uh, what for me has been a difference. I mean, I appreciate that there are people, you know, people who, who live in certain neighborhoods in LA or in London where their families have lived for years and, you know, they have very tight-knit communities. I'm, I'm not disputing that. But certainly my experience of city life wasn't that. I didn't know my neighbors' names. I, I didn't have a sense of community. Maybe one or two restaurants kind of recognized me if I went every week. Whereas here, um, you know, I got to our restaurant here, which is, it's strictly speaking, it's a coffee shop, but it becomes a restaurant in the evening. Um, I don't order anymore. The, the owner, he brings me what's good. And um, at the end of the meal, he brings me Zivania, which is the sort of local fire water. Um, he doesn't charge me for that, and he doesn't care whether I want it or not. <laughs> he brings it, and if I don't drink it, I'll offend him. Um, that's my excuse anyway. Um, I serve myself drinks. I go and get my beer. I do Margaret, a gin and tonic. And um, if it's busy and, you know, table four needs some wine, I'll sort them out with some wine. And you just pitch in and help because he's understaffed and, you know, chaotically separated. It's fantastic. It's brilliant. And, you know, it's happened to me a couple of times. Oh, yeah, I don't have my wallet with me. That's all right. Come tomorrow. Come next week, whenever. Just come. And I can, I can pay my bill whenever I, whenever I want to go there. Um, and that's, that's a huge difference. And, you know, I, I know that if, um, you know, if I wasn't around um, and Margaret needed some help, she could, she could phone the coffee shop. She could go into the coffee shop and, you know, someone would help her. She could, um, you know, knock on a neighbor's door. And someone would help her. And that wasn't 
true when we lived in London, for sure. Definitely not. Um, I mean, I have to say, living in the country also makes me love the country, uh, love the cities, because I think places like London and stuff are brilliant to visit. And when I'm visiting, I stay much more central than I could ever afford to live. <laughs> so, um, you know, if you like wandering around Covent Garden, which is a great part of London to wander around, um, it's really nice if you can actually walk to your hotel from there rather than get on a tube for 40 minutes. Um, so I really appreciate all of those great city things like the theatre. And I probably go to the theatre more since I left the city than when I lived in the city. When I was in the city, it never really occurred to me to sort of make use of those amazing amenities. Whereas outside, I do. You know, I jump on a train. Okay, let's go up there and let's go and see a show and go, oh, let's go and have cocktails, all of that sort of stuff. Um, but I think the the huge difference that, you know, we probably haven't touched on because we both understand it is, is the importance of nature. Just the way that, um, you know, I, I get up earlier living in the country than I ever did in the city because, you know, as the sun goes up, so do I. Um, and I also go to bed early, <laughs> partly because I've got to be up early, but also because, you know, just everything slows down. When, when it starts getting dark, nature goes to bed. Certainly your pets, mine, both comatose, but when the sun goes down, that's it. Goodbye. It's goodbye from us. And uh, I just find myself much more in tune with nature because I go out and walk in it every day. Um, obviously, I'm very fortunate in where I live, and so I spend a lot of my time outdoors. And I think that the power of, I suppose, sunlight, of being outdoors, fresh air, cleaner, I think we underestimate how beneficial that is and how good that is just for your general mood and um the impact it has on the pace that you do things i i am definitively less stressed when i'm in the countryside than when i'm in the city it, it I, I you know i think of countless examples where i just know that i i take things easier setbacks um Nothing seems quite so important when you live in the country as it does when you live in the city, but maybe that's just me. No, I don't think so. Um, I think the, the one surprise that I've got for me is how much I've enjoyed nature up here. Mm. I've never been an outdoorsy person. I'd rather go to a bar, a club, you know, theater, um, anything like that. Um, go for a walk in nature. Oof, that sounds like hard work. Uh, but been up here and immersed in it, not just in the point where you, as a tourist in your own town kind of thing, go out to nature, but living in proper nature, um, you know, not just I'm going for a walk around a park, but I'm out here exploring where potentially nobody else has been. I have to deal with, you know, up here we've. We've got the bears, the coyotes, the cougars, the deer right in my backyard. Uh, we've got wild horses on the mountain next to me. Um, it's it's just such an interesting place. Uh, the hiking, exploring, um, even in nature. I love winter hiking. I mean, who would have thought that climbing up a, a, a mountain in winter would actually be any fun? I mean, I'm not quite Everest style here. Um, you know, but this is just exploring. It's just so, so beautiful. Um, and I think that is amazingly the best. Just wait till you do it in a kilt, Justin. I mean, that's refreshing in winter, I'm sure, Stu. <laughs> Absolutely. You can wear a full kilt in winter. A full kilt. I've got no idea what a full kilt is, but I don't want to find out. Eight yards of wool, my friend. It keeps you very warm. <laughs> I think you'd still get a breeze, but that's just my opinion on it. No, it's it's amazing how much uh, I have changed. I think is, I think that's kind of my takeaway from this, Stu, is how much I never expected to change, but how much I've changed just by the environment. And for me, it's been a wonderful change. Less stress, as you talked about, um, more presence, um, more living in the moment. How about you? What's your takeaway? Uh, oh, it's similar, I guess. I mean, wherever I live, I, I think I've learned that time outdoors is absolutely essential. Even even when I lived in, in cities, um, I got into a habit of Sunday mornings, 
going for a walk around, you know, empty streets. Uh, I, I think finding some room for nature wherever you live um, is just a really important thing to do. And if you are lucky enough to to get a chance to go and live somewhere more rural, um, yeah, don't don't be like Justin and I were going. What, live outside a city? No, walk in the country. Oh God, terrible! Hey, give it a try. You might like it. Surprisingly, it will change your life. Yeah. Especially if you don't have to do this commute. Where can people find you on the interweb this week? Were you busy? Were you quiet? Uh, I've been mean, a bit of both, I suppose. Um, I've been doing some posts on stuartlandon.com, um, mostly about the Camino, um, also a little bit of politics. Sorry about that. Um, I've been yeah, generally quite quiet on Twitter, but you can find me at 4left187. That's F-O-R-E-L-E-F-T-187, which is where I'll growl at people occasionally. Um, If you're interested in anti-money laundering, first of all, have a question. Talk to yourself about your lifestyle choices. But um, www.limeconsulting.com is where I am. Anti-money laundering consultant, don't you know? Uh, And nerosnotes.co.uk for excellent stationery from the world over, including... Well, the new field notes, but they won't be new by the time this goes out. Oh, those are pretty. I like those. They, they are pretty good, I think. I think they are going to fly. Uh, what about you? Where can people find you, Justin? Well, you can find links to what I do at justintwyford.com. Um, been pretty quiet this week. Haven't done much one of those weeks. You can find uh, more about both of us, links to both of us at stationaryadjacent.com. Or email us, stationaryjacent, gmail.com. Uh, please take a moment to like and review us on your podcast catcher choice. We really, really do appreciate your recommendations to your friends and your colleagues. Uh, our next topic is going to be on what stationery or kit should we buy for us this Winterfest? I think this will be fun because we're going to talk Stu into getting a new fountain pen. <laughs> Almost certainly. <laughs> All right. Until then, goodbye and stay productive. Yes, us. <laughs>